But this morning we are uh, continuing our series, Revision, uh, looking at it from the perspective that God is allowed to redline our life. And it says on the screen there, being uh, better, the second chance, instead of becoming bitter. Uh, we can become bitter in our life if we think that God is picking on us or it seems like everything's not going my way and it's easy to become bitter in life, but God wants us to be better. Amen. And revision is about that, is giving God the right to redline your life, giving him the opportunity to say, this is something I want you to deal with and work on. And it isn't that he uh, puts a mandate on us that he doesn't give us the resources we need to make those changes, but that he changes us from the inside out and it's his presence that can change us, amen, and he will help you along the way. He's the friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother, and he will always be there to lead and guide you. But this morning, as we're looking at this, I want us to go to, in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter uh, 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to look at for our text today. Uh, verse 41 is where we will begin. I was bragging about my vision last week, and now it seems that this is pretty dim or something because I'm looking three different times to try to see it. First <laughs> uh, Kings 18:41, uh, God speaking to us through the Old Testament book of Kings. First Kings 18:41 says, "Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink." For there is a sound of the abundance of rain. If you can hear it, there is rain hitting our roof. And rain was hitting the roof in Vanceburg a little bit ago at 9.30 at our early service. Uh, so grateful for God giving us two buildings to come and have two different times of worship to allow families to come to the one that best fits your model and your mode. It's a... Uh, we're grateful for that. But as Elijah here is saying to King Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. And I believe today that I want to speak to you along the terms that, that God wants to change some things in our life. And last week we talked about a change of heart, how that revisioning that we are going to give God the ability to redline our heart and cause us uh, our heart to be changed to meet his heart. And to be like his heart. And today, I want to speak to you about changing our mind. Changing our perspective. Our mind. So today, as Elijah is saying this, and it, they're writing this down, the, the book of Kings, the author's writing this down. Then Elijah said, they have go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the bunch of rain. We've got to contextualize that to understand what's going on in history and what's going on in this season and in this chapter to really apply what God wants to say to us today about changing our mind. But as we look at this, that, that Elijah is saying to Ahab, and this is uh, the prophet of Israel speaking to the king of Israel. And I believe today that God wants to equip us that certain seasons of our life that he gives us the ability to say some things to some people that needs to hear them. Amen? That he gives us the ability as a Christian that he can work through us to speak to other people. And I believe that's happening right here today, that I can't speak to you on my own terms. I can't speak to you what I want to say to you, but I can speak what God wants to speak in this place today. And he, he's equipping me to do that because I was not equipped. In eighth grade when I had to recite... Uh, 
Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I was red as a beet. I was blushing. I wasn't able to publicly speak at all. And here today, God called me to preach, and I'm speaking in front of a crowd, and it's not even bothering me at all. Why? Because he's gifted me and given me the anointing to do this, because without that, I would go sit down. I just assume to sit down because I really am not smart enough to have anything to say, but I believe God can apply some things to your heart in this place today. But this, here it is, that Elijah was saying to his king, and the scripture teaches us that with our gifting that God will take us before kings, that he will set us before kings, that if the anointing of God is upon your life, he can equip you to even give you the calling to place you before kings. And I don't know about you, but I've been in front of governors, I've been in front of a lot of different politicians and leaders and civic leaders and business owners and a lot of different things in my life that I would have never thought growing up in Quincy, Kentucky, that I would have ever had the opportunity to do that, but God sets us there for opportune times to speak some things to some people that maybe has never heard some things that they need to hear. Amen? How many believes God can position you for such a time as this just like he did Queen Esther? That he put her in that place and Mordecai dealt with her and led her and trained her as a child and the next thing you know she's sitting before the king. And here it is, Elijah is sitting before his king because God placed him there to speak. And Elijah says to him, go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. So we need to contextualize that. So what happens in this story to where that we need to see that rain is important? So as, as this is happening, this is a season of Israel's existence to where that they were a, a, a group or a segment of the children of Israel that had walked away from God. And Scripture teaches that God is a jealous God. Amen. Not that he wants to contain us or control us or, or put his, uh, you know, demands on us. It's that he wants to lead us because he knows what's best for us. Amen? And he's not talking about jealousy from a perspective of sometimes jealousy can lead to bad things. Amen? Jealous husbands? Amen? It co comes up on the inside and you're like, why are they talking to my wife? Right? And that jealousy kicks in. And jealousy can be a bad thing. But God's jealousy is a holy jealousy. It's a jealousy that draws us to himself. Not that he wants to demand things from us, but it's because he loves us. And I'm not jealous towards Leslie because I'm jealous that whatever's going to happen or what's going on or all this. I'm jealous because I love her. Amen. There's a righteous jealousy. And God has that for us as the church. Amen. He has that for the children of Israel. But God's jealousy is there and it's aroused because in this season that the children of Israel had walked away and they were worshiping other things. They were worshiping the God of Baal. They were worshiping all these other things that Jezebel was training them and leading them in. And it's, it, it brings hurt to God's heart because his lover is abandoning him. Amen. If your wife ever cheats on you, it feels like a hurt, a pain, an emptiness there that says, why? We don't understand it. And that's the way God feels whenever his church cheats on him. And the children of Israel were walking away from him and doing whatever they wanted to do. They wasn't listening to his commands. They wasn't obeying the commandments. They weren't doing the things that God had instructed them to do for a whole life of holiness. So here, it's this season and there's this prophet that comes on the scene, and his name is Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet that can speak, and he can declare things, he can decree things, he can demand things, and as he speaks, things happen. 
And God empowers people to do those things. Amen? That when they speak, things happen. So Elijah's this prophet that's on the scene, and he goes out and he sees all these things, and his, God's jealousy is speaking through his heart then to say, wow, why is this happening? What's going on here? And as he's in the midst of this, he, he looks around and he says, you know what, I'm just going to pray for a drought. I'm going to pray for a drought. Has anybody in here ever prayed for a drought? He prayed for a drought that would last three and a half years. You live in California. <laughs> right? And all the fires is happening and all that stuff because of droughts and all the things that comes and happens. Nobody prays for droughts. Back in the 30s, there was a, a, a in, in America, there was a thing going on that where that there was a great drought and, and half of the Midwest was going through uh, all this season of change and, and, and there was a drought and, and earth dried up and farmers were continuing to plow and the next thing you know, they were trying to plant just hoping for someday that rain would happen, but it never came. So as they would plow and tool up the ground, it would never recondition itself back to the place, and it was loose on top. And as the winds began to come through, as these winds would come through, it would, it would wash a lot of dirt and blow it, and some of it ended up from Kansas. Some of the dirt from Kansas was literally on the steps of the White House. Think about that. That's a drought. Whenever Kansas dirt in a dust storm, it was called the Dust Bowl, it blew and it was on the steps of the White House in Washington, D.C. That's crazy to even think about. Hundreds of miles. Hundreds and hundreds of miles. And the worst thing about it in, in American history is it was at the most inopportune time when this happened. It's a really sad state of affairs because America was in the midst of of a Great Depression. The stock market had already crashed. All these different things were happening and people were already starving anyway and then all of a sudden there's a drought. Nobody prays for a drought. Look at your neighbor and say, nobody prays for a drought. But here Elijah, this prophet, because he sees all these ungodly things, he says, you know what? I think something might wake him up. I'm just going to pray for a drought and it happens. Three and a half years of not one single drop of rain fell in Israel. It was perplexing to the nation that this was happening. And there was people that were starving. There was people. And, and Elijah the prophet prayed it didn't rain. And it didn't rain. Why? Sometimes we need a wake-up call. In order to learn the lesson. Amen. Amen. The comforts of our life is not learning seasons. It's the uncomfortable seasons of our life where we learn our greatest lessons. And I hear my mom and dad tell stories about whenever they just first got married and had a son. And was down here in Quincy, Kentucky and, and renting a house. And as they were renting that house that, that times got hard, Dad got laid off from the steel mill. And he's sitting there and he, 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 he's at the house and nothing's going on. He's got too much pride in his heart to go ask anybody for any help and they've got chickens. So guess what? When you got chickens, at least you got some eggs, right? But you're wanting some meat. But you better not kill the chicken because you ain't going to have no eggs tomorrow. <laughs> Amen? 
So you got these eggs, and then the next thing you know, dad's over there and his neighbor, Mr. Kamer down here, at Quincy, he walked over next door and he said, I know you're laid off and you're having a hard time and you can go over there and get some potatoes out of my tater bin. Right? You can get some potatoes there. And as this happens, that was their food. If you've never been in hard times, you don't know what it's like. And finally, they went to some kind of, Dad tells the story that they went to some family event, and when they went to that family event, my grandpa gave them this big chunk of meat. He didn't know. He was just, you know, giving them a gift for the holiday or whatever. I think it was Christmas or Thanksgiving or one of them, and they gave them this big chunk of meat. And Dad got home, and all he'd been eating was taters and eggs, and he said sometimes Mom would switch it up and make eggs and taters, or, you know, it's, make it seem different anyway. Still the same thing. You'd make scrambled eggs, then you make fried eggs, and then you make uh, all the, that's the only way you could eat. And Dad says he sat at the table and had his knife and his fork, and Mom was cooking this meat that my grandpa would give him, and he's sitting there beating it on the table. He couldn't wait for it to get done. You know, man, I'm going to get to eat some meat here today. It's going to be a good day. See, we don't know that kind of struggle in the life we're living in today. And then he moves my mom up the holler in Briary and moves her in a house of one room with a king wood stove, no bathroom. I was six years old when Rick Kamer dug our septic tank on Briary. If you've never lived in a house where you have to go outside to use the bathroom, you don't know what it's like. That's hard times. How in the world do you keep a wife? Uh, Leslie, would you hang with me? If we was in a one-bedroom house, <laughs> it'd be bad times, wouldn't it? And I'll tell you one thing you learn to do when you got outside, John, and you're scared of the dark, you learn to hold it. <laughs> you don't just get up in the middle of the night and take off, ah, I think I'll go in out there. No. It's a have to when you go with an outside John. But hard times are those droughts that I'm talking about. And that's the season that Israel was in. They were in this drought season of their life, of their existence as a nation. And as this drought was happening, I'm sure there was perplexing times that people were looking at neighbors and, and, and they began to have envy and strife and bitterness and, and they didn't like the other people. And even the king in this story, King Ahab, he was traveling throughout Israel, the nation of Israel, and he was looking for grass just to keep his donkey alive. You know it's hard times whenever the king is searching for a field with some grass in it. Three and a half years of this. Wow. Because a prophet prayed. Because a prophet prayed. Oh, shoot. Poor Carver. So here you go, that Elijah prayed this prayer. And then the next thing you know, it happens. Elijah was in hiding because the king was looking for him. The king was trying to kill him. Ahab was wanting to kill Elijah because he was the one that prayed this prayer. And he, was, he thought it made this, this God of Baal mad. And now the God of Baal was the one holding back the rain. When truly it was Elijah's prayer to the God of heaven that was holding back the rain because of his prayer. It had nothing to do with Baal. Right? So Elijah is out there and he's hiding. And he's, he's hiding in caves and he's staying away from everybody. 
And it's perplexing times wherever you have to go in this reclusive mode where that you are, are hid away and you're not out in, in society and you, you don't have a lot of friends. And I'll tell you this, wherever you pray these kind of prayers that nobody else prays, you better go into hiding because you're not going to have too many friends. In the middle of a drought, a three-and-a-half-year drought, and you're the one that prayed the prayer, everybody's not going to walk up saying, Oh, man, I'm glad you come. Elijah, just a high-five, buddy. Yeah, loving this drought, man. It's awesome. You don't have any friends. But Elijah comes out of this hiding moment and he's walking as the Obadiah is there and him and Ahab are looking through these fields looking for the, for the food for the donkeys. And in the story of 1 Kings 18, you can read it. But as he's walking, he's looking and he runs into Obadiah and Elijah's there. And Elijah tells Obadiah, Obadiah, go back and tell Ahab to come see me. Obadiah's like, you're not tricking me, man. He was a prophet too. He's like, you're not tricking me. You'll go into hiding and I'm going to go over and tell Ahab that you're wanting to see him and then I can't find you. No, nope, no thanks. You're not my friend. Isn't it amazing that Christians can be Christians and not friends? Amen? Isn't it amazing that churches are all on the same purpose and all building the same kingdom, but they can't get along? But here God tells Elijah, get Obadiah. Tell him to go get Ahab and bring him back. So Obadiah goes to King Ahab and he tells Ahab, Hey man, Elijah's over there and Elijah told me to come and you bring all your prophets of Baal and all these idols that you're worshiping and all of them, get all your soothsayers, everybody you want to together and bring them to Mount Carmel. Everybody say a showdown. In the midst of a drought, a showdown's going to happen. So they, they come and all these prophets of Baal, over 400 of them show up and they're all there and they're doing their thing and, and they're, they're ready and, and they're ready for this showdown. And you got on this side, you got 400 people with Ahab and all these other worshipers, all these odd things that God told them not to do. And then on this side, you got Elijah standing there, the man that prayed the crazy prayer. He says, God is going to show up today. He's going to show up today in a way that you haven't seen before. He's going to show up in fire. The Bible says that God is an all-consuming fire. He's all-consuming. When He comes in, He burns away the dross. He burns away all the unpleasant things of our life. He's consuming us. And as God shows up, and next thing you know, Elijah tells me, He says, okay, we're going to do this the same, and we're going to make this equal. So you build your altar over there, I'll build my altar over here, and, and you guys just go ahead, and I'll give you first chance. Whoever shows up is God. If the God of Baal shows up, then let him be God, but if the God of heaven shows up, then let him be God. And he says, how long will you falter between these two opinions? How long will you stand and try to straddle both fences and say, well, I want to be in the church, but I still want to do this. I, I, want, I, I want my mind to, to think like I want to think, and I, I don't want God to give too much control. How long will you falter between two opinions? Elijah's telling the children of Israel, you've got to make your mind up what side you're on. So Elijah tells them, you get first dibs, man. Go ahead, go at it. So you got these 400 worshipers over here, and the Bible says they're dancing around, they're hollering, they're screaming, God of Baal, show up, burn this, burn this sacrifice, burn this altar, prove that you're God. Nothing. Elijah's over here, he's prayed a prayer that's drought for three and a half years. He's standing there for all kinds of confidence, right? He looks over, to, he said, maybe he's asleep. 
Maybe you need to holler louder over there. And they all begin to scream, it says, they, to the top of their lungs. God of Baal, please show up. Burn this with fire. Prove that you're God. Crickets. Elijah says, well, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he went away. Maybe, maybe he's not coming back yet. And then he goes even farther and says, well, maybe he even went to the bathroom. Literally. That's what he says. And they're over here screaming. And the Bible says they begin to cut themselves and, and, and all these different things. And they begin to try to sacrifice even their own lives to, to get God of Baal to come and show up. And nothing. So Elijah's standing over here on this side and he said, Are you done? Hey, you got, a little, got another half hour, boys. Nothing. Finally, Elijah says, It's my turn. It's my time. Amen. Amen. Everybody say, It's God's time. It's God's time. So Elijah says, okay, I'm going to stand over here. And because you guys think that I might be this trickster, I might be this uh, uh, person with uh, doing magic tricks or something, I'm just going to give you all the evidence in the world that this is not me, this is God. So he says, okay, here's my altar. Here's the 12 stones for the children of Israel here. I'm going to dig a ditch all the way around it. And he says, here's my sacrifice I'm laying on it. There's this wood laying here. He said, boys, go get me some water. How many knows in the midst of, a, of, of this drought, water is not everywhere? And the Bible says they go get water, and they bring it back in this big tub, and he pours it all over the wood. He pours it all over the altar. He pours it, and it runs down in the ditch, and he lays there for a minute, and he, he says, okay, that's kind of, it's draining down. Uh, go get some more. They do it three times. Everybody say, that's a waste of water in the drought. Amen. But he's wanting to prove to him, this is not me. I don't have some little kindled fire underneath here that I'm going to blow this across it and do that or do this. This is not a game. This is God. And as he stands there and he pours that water over the third time, and then he lifts his hands and he prays, God of heaven, the God of fire, show up and consume this burnt offering and consume this wood and consume all. And the next thing you know, it happens. The fire comes from heaven and it burns up everything. And I'm sure the children of Israel in this story, you can read it in 1 Kings 18. It says that they were perplexed. They were, they were there and they, they were anxious and they began to cheer and say, Yeah, the God of heaven showed up. All of a sudden, isn't it funny how whenever you're on the winning team, everybody's there with you. Amen? But you can go be the Lewis County Lions and go lose 37-0 to zero for four or five games and nobody shows up. Right, Sammy? When you're winning, everybody's there. Wherever you got a winning season like last season with the baseball team, man, everybody's on fire. Yeah, woo, yeah. Stands are full. It's easy to have cheerleaders when you're winning. Elijah, God shows up with fire, consumes it all. These, all these prophets of Baal, it says that they take off and they begin to flee. Because they know God has shown up. All these people worshiping false gods, they run away and they flee in the presence of an almighty God that consumes by fire. What happens? Elijah says, go kill them all. And that's what they do. They go down in the field and they kill every one of them. I'm glad for the New Testament in grace. Amen. Amen. This Old Testament, it's a bloodbath. Read through it if you don't believe me. And I know that what a lot of people say about the Old Testament, you know, and Jesus didn't come to tear it down. He came to fulfill it. 
Ain't you glad we didn't have to bring bulls and goats in here this morning? Hebrews tells us we don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the great and last offering or sacrifice that we needed. His blood on the cross of Calvary was all we needed. I'm glad I don't have to bring a, a bull and a goat in here and a pigeon and all these different things that the Old Testament tells us to do. I'm grateful for that sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? Amen. But Elijah is winning. And after his people begin to take off the children of Israel and they go down there and kill all these false prophets and all these different things going on, it leaves Elijah and Ahab sitting up here on top of the hill. The king that wanted to kill him is sitting before him. Imagine being one of the most wanted man or woman on the FBI's most wanted list and knowing all the resources of the kingdom was against you. And now you're standing before the king. That's where our sentence was we read a while ago. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. Wow. Wow. A prophet telling a king, go eat, drink. Drink what? We're in a drought. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Everybody hold your hand up over your ear. Look over at your neighbor and say, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. What is that sound? There's nothing going on. And Elijah tells the king, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. We're in a three and a half year drought. God of fire just showed up and burnt this offering and sacrifice and altar and everything else. And next thing you know, he's standing there and he looks over and everybody's gone and they're down there killing each other down the field. And Elijah looks over to Ahab and says, get up, eat and drink, king. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And we've got to keep on reading now. Verse 42. So Ahab went up and eat and drank. He did what the prophet told him. And Elijah went up to the top of, of Mount Carmel. And then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Isn't this amazing? This dumbfounds me that here this prophet that had just called for a three and a half year drought through a prayer. That just called down fire from heaven to burn a wet, uh, soaky uh, altar up here that he had made as, as all this happened there should be some pride in his heart there should be something there to where that he's walking around with his chest out and be like yeah man I just prayed three and a half years and it didn't rain I just prayed for fire and fire come from heaven I've never seen that before man that's awesome but what does he do? He don't do that. He goes up to Mount Carmel and he told the king to go eat and drink. And I hear something coming. I hear some rain coming. And he sits down on his, on his bottom and he puts his head down between his knees. And he begins to pray. You see where we're missing it in the church today is prayer time. The one thing that's the most absent in the church today is prayer. Think about it. Leslie prays for 10 seconds after worship. Somebody usually prays for 15 to 20 seconds after the offering. We usually pray at the end for another 2-3 minutes. Prayer is missing in the church. But Elijah goes and prays. And there is something about humility that brings in something from God to our heart. It draws him nigh to us when we begin to pray and humble ourselves. It's what it says in Chronicles. 
Amen? So he's, he's there and he's knelt down, he's praying. He's not proud of what he's been able to do because he knows it wasn't me, it was God. How many of us are like that? When we see God move mountains in our life, do we think it was because of me? No. It was only because of God. Because without Him, I am nothing. Amen? I remember the sinful state that I was walking around in, the existence that I was in, and without God, I was nothing. But with God, I'm able to do all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible to him that believes. So here it is. He's down. He's praying. And Elijah tells his uh, servant, verse 43, he tells his servant, go, get up now, go and look towards the sea. So he went and looked and he came back and he said, there's nothing. Isn't that the kind of helper you want? Go over and look and see. I, I, I hear the uh, sound of the abundance of rain, King. And I'm over here praying, man, God, please show up. I, I know you just showed up with fire, but, but now I'm, I need you to show up with some rain. I prayed for a drought, and it was a drought. But I'm sitting here, and I just told the king there's going to be rain. God, I'm praying. What do we do in that moment in the waiting? This is where our mind tricks us. This is what I'm telling you, you need to change your mind. Because when you're waiting, that's the time when you think too much. Amen? And your thinking is stinking thinking. Amen? Whenever I try to think my way out of situations, I get in more trouble. Amen? Whenever I try to make my mind up and say, well, next, next week I'm going to get up and I'm going to do better and I ain't going to do that again, it'll be Monday morning by 6.50, it's already over. Amen? When I think I'm going to do it. But whenever I kneel down and get my head between my knees and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to show up in my life. And what happens when he does? He'll change your mind too. Amen? So here it is. Ahab's praying. And he tells his servant, go out there. Well, no, don't happen. Then it came to pass the seventh time. He said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. You see, when you see God begin to move, there's the naysayers around you and say, well, that ain't as big as I thought it was going to be. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He prophesied that to the king, and he tells his servant, go and see a cloud, and he walks out there six times and comes back and says, there's nothing. But the seventh time he comes back, he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. The Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. Amen. If you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. Amen. When God gives you little wins, you better jump up and down for joy and say, thank you, God. Because even though that may seem small, I will steward it. I'll take care of it. God, I'll make sure and tend to this. I'm not going to let it go because it wasn't as big as I was dreaming. But I'll take it, God. Amen. Be faithful over the little things in your life. Because as you take care of them, God will make you and he will reward you with more. But this, this uh, servant comes back and he comes back the seventh time and he said, it's, it's a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's, it seems so small. And, th and then, he, then he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So the king's up here eating and drinking 
It's still a drought. And he, he prophesies to him and says there's a, there's a sound of the abundance of rain. And then he tells his servant to go out. And he comes back and he says, well, there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, guess what? Go over there and tell King Ahab he better get off the top of this mountain because there's a rain coming and he's not going to be able to get down. Amen? Somebody say, that's confidence. That's faith, amen. That's speaking when you can't see it. That's believing when you can't hear it. That's, that's thinking that God will show up in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of my situations, when I don't even see him and everybody's laughing and everybody's mocking and saying, that's a little bitty cloud. That don't make any sense. Guess what? If it's God, it's enough for me. It don't matter what it appears to you. It's between me and my God. And God is saying to us today, what are you going to believe? Whose report will you believe? God or man? But Ahab had learned his lesson by this point. Now it happened in the meantime, verse 45, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. I love this verse, verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Has anybody ever been on a three-year fast? Anybody ever been on a three-year starvation diet? Anybody ever been through a three-year drought where nothing was growing and even the donkeys were dying? This isn't where they had Walmart on the corner. They, they couldn't go down to Myers. They, they couldn't order off of Amazon and get it flown in. This is a season before times that existed like they do today. And they were in hard times. And this prophet was hiding in a cave. And I'm sure he didn't have much to eat. But God told him to get up and take off. And you've got to understand, this is a 14-mile journey from the place he started on Mount Carmel down to Jezreel. And as he's there... As he's in the midst of this moment, he stands up and he looks, and all of a sudden Ahab takes off in his chariot. And as Ahab takes off, guess what? Ahab's standing there looking, and he says, Well, I've got to get to Jezreel because I want this story to be told the way God wants it to be told and not the way that Ahab wants to tell it. And God tells him, Get down off the mountain. The rain's coming. It's torrential. It's a downpour. Amen. Kind of like outside today. The river's coming up. Everybody gets freaked out and scared. It's abundance of rain. What are you going to do? If God tells you to run, what are you going to do? You better run. Well, I'm starving, God. I ain't had anything to drink, God. We can make up all these excuses we want to in life while we don't do what God tells us to do. But today he's telling you, move. Change your mind. I need a revision in my life. How about you? If he tells you to run, run. If he tells you to walk, walk. If he tells you to sit in a cave and pray for three and a half years, sit in a cave and pray. The key is do what he tells you to do. Because I'm telling you, he's speaking. Amen? And if God speaks, our only job is to do it. That's today. That's the revision he wants to write on your heart today. Do it. Just do it. Whatever he said. That's a Nike term. And here we're in the midst of a Nike storm. Sorry. <laughs> it's perplexing. 
Everybody's got an opinion. The deal is, I don't care what anybody's opinion is. It's what's God's opinion. Amen. He said there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. Amen. God loves everybody the same. He don't look at color. He don't look at race. He don't look at sex. He don't worry about all that. He just looks down and says, that's my children. I created them. I love them. What should the church be doing? Amen. If we drive through downtown and see somebody with a different color skin than us, we shouldn't look and say, well, look at that. That's God's creation. Amen. And if we're condemning them, then we're condemning God because God's the one to create them. We're saying, God, you know what? You're not very smart. You created junk. Look at that. Better check yourself. Amen. Better change your mind. If we want the true revision of God, we've got to allow him to red line out, even though well, I, th I feel this way and I feel that way and I was raised this way and I was raised that way. God's saying, I don't care how you was raised. I'm telling you what my word says is you're all equal. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? I'll get off that soapbox. I'm sorry. But it's true. Change your mind and God will change your life. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say that? Change your mind, and God will change your life. Romans chapter 12 says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. God wants to renew our mind. It says it's a reasonable sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 40 says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Can you imagine Ahab? That first step when he began to run. It's like, oh my God, what am I doing? I haven't had a drink in a long time. I'm too fat to be running, but guess what? If God says run, what do you got to do? You just got to take off running, right? So there's some people in this room that you don't need to think about what you haven't had or what hasn't happened in the past. If God tells you to move, you better move. Why? Because that's what he wants. That's what he desires. And he don't want to mess your life up. He wants to fix you. I wish you would have ran with me. Won't you stand? James chapter 5. Now I'm sweating. Daggone it. James chapter 5 says this. It says Elijah was a man with a countenance like us. He was a man like us. This is New Testament. This is Jesus' very brother, his older brother, or younger brother James, his oldest of the siblings. And James says this, Elijah was a man with countenance like ours. He prayed it didn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain. He prayed it would rain and it rained. In the Gospels, it says that even Jesus' siblings and his family didn't believe him. Have you ever doubted Jesus? Have you ever doubted God? I want to see a raise of hands in here and say, I just, sometimes I just doubt it. I remember going to my mom one time saying, I don't even believe there's a God. And I wasn't doing it to be hurtful. I wasn't doing it to be spiteful. Greg, I didn't know. 
I was raised in church. I've heard of all the sermons, but I didn't know Albie. But when God spoke to my heart, and when he did the work that he wanted to do, it changed everything. It changed everything about me. And today as we're in this room, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Elijah was a man with a countenance like us. Elijah was just like you. He prayed it didn't rain and it didn't rain. He prayed it rained and it rained. What are you praying for today? Next week. Next week is Back to Church Sunday. There's going to be a lot of people in this room. There's going to be a lot of people at the Vanceburg campus. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to pray a very simple prayer that just basically asks God, who would you have me to invite to come to Back to Church Sunday next week? Because there's going to be a showdown in this place. There's going to be people that walk in next week that don't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for their sins and they're going to walk out different than they came in. And it's not going to be me. It's not going to be Leslie. It's not going to be the singing. It's not going to be the prayers. It's going to be God showing up and being real in their life. I want you to just pray a very simple prayer. God, who would you have me to invite next week? Just ask him, say, give me, a, give, me a, give me all week, God. Wake me up at the table whenever I'm sitting there in my lunchroom at work. Give me the people to hand it to. When I'm going through the bank and the teller's there and it looks like she's dealing with some pain in her life, quicken my heart, God. Let me know that you're speaking. As you pray those prayers for those opportunities that God will give you this week, I want you to know that next week, wherever you come in, Get here early. Amen. Look at me. I want you to get here early next week. Rachel, that's going to be hard. <laughs> You're kind of like my mama Bonnie. You too. It's okay. But get here early because some of the people you invite, don't let them beat you here. And when you wake up next Sunday, just having your heart and you know that, man, God is fixing to do something and i got to get there to see it. Because Elijah had to show up on the top of Mount Carmel. And wherever you're standing there looking out those windows next week, I hope and pray that that little four-year is full because you're going to be looking out through them windows like, are they coming? Are they coming? And sometimes it's going to get, maybe it'll get late and you still don't see him and everybody else's friends are sitting in here and you're looking and you're thinking, are they coming? And all of a sudden you'll see this little car pull into the driveway. And you'll look out there, Jason, and you can put your hand up and it'll cover it. It's about the size of a man's hand. Well, them cars out there in that parking lot can haul eight people. It may look small to everybody else, but it's big enough for me because God can meet them when they get here. And we got these little invitation packets to invite them next week. Alba, you got them? They're all over the place, so. Ryan, you help. Will you get some of these, Ryan, and pass out to that side? Should I get these? Everybody take several. We printed off 150 of them this morning. Vanceburg campus took several. 
we still got a lot. So don't let us waste ink. And even if it's somebody that whenever you begin to walk up to them, you're like, and the devil begins to tell you, well, they won't ever come. Have faith. Believe, amen? Trust. It's a pretty cool little thing, a pamphlet to hand out. Invite them and tell them it's back to church Sunday because a lot of times people won't come to church wherever you invite them because they think, well, man, I'll be the only one there that somebody knew. And everybody's going to look around and say, oh, who's that new person? Next week, there's going to be a lot of people here that's new and tell them that's going to be uh, all kinds of new guests and they, they won't, they'll just blend right in. It's a perfect opportunity to get somebody to come to church. Everybody got some? I want you to lay hands on those. And I want us to pray. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that every one of these pamphlets that they have in their hand, Lord, that you would anoint them. Lord, that your spirit would draw the way that the Bible says that you have to draw. Lord, I pray for the friends of the people in this room that will be receiving this pamphlet. God, I pray that you would even go before it and that your spirit would go and speak to their heart. Make it pliable, God. God, I pray for their co-workers that they're going to hand this to. God, that you would soften their heart. Lord, the hardest ones in the midst. God, that you can make them soft as clay. God, I pray that neighbors that they're going to go and touch, it may be a neighbor that they're mad at because they blew grass shavings over on their lawn. But God, you can, you can cause fences to be torn down. Just as Elijah was afraid of Ahab, God, let us overcome fear in this place to be the people that you've called us to be. Go before us, prepare a way where there seems to be no way. In Jesus' name, amen.